Morning, everybody. It is so good to be with you all today and to see you and just to worship together with you. Uh, wasn't that just an awesome time of worship we had? Man, yeah, thank, thank you, band, for leading us in that. Um, man, it's so good to be with the people of God on the Lord's Day and worshiping and talking about we're gonna, what we're going to talk about today. I just want to remind you that tomorrow is Monday. So, just so we're all on the same page. Tomorrow's Monday, and I don't know if you're happy for that reminder or sad. Monday mornings, you're probably going to be at work or doing something that is called work. You've got work tomorrow, and you know, instead of just leaving that to tomorrow, I'm going to talk about work today. So I'm just instantly an enemy of everyone in the room right now. And you might be thinking, okay, why do we have to talk about work? Is that like really spiritual enough for a Sunday? Is that, I mean, we do that all week. We come here to experience God together and to connect with the Holy Spirit and, and, to, and to get charged up. Why you got to bring us down, Kenny, and talk about work? Um, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to be bringing you down today. And, and here's how I would answer that question. Um, Amy Sherman, in her book, uh, Kingdom Calling, which is a, a really good book that, that talks about vocation, which we're talking about in this new series, um, she makes this metaphor for how do you see the church? If it was a ship, how do you in, envision it? Um, and, and she says, we should look at the church as an aircraft carrier, not a cruise ship. There's a big difference, right? Because they're both big and they both have a lot of people on them, but there's different purposes, right? If, you, if, if you're on an aircraft carrier, you've, the point of you being there is to refuel and to be a place for those aircraft to land and then to be sent back out on different missions and um, to watch over certain territories and stuff. But if you're on a cruise ship, the point is just to be there and enjoy it and have fun. And maybe you'll make a stop and, you know, visit a town, but then you come back and now we're having fun on the cruise ship. And here at New City, we see the church as an aircraft carrier, where we're, where we're trained and we're brought in so that we can be sent out for the mission that God's sent us, sending us to on the rest of our week, amen? And that's not just because we live in San Diego and it's a big Navy town, <laughs> but it does work for us on the metaphor. But yes, we're talking about vocation, um, not vacation, in case you uh, misread the, uh, the uh, announcements this week, vocation. And what we mean by that is it means a job, but it's not just a job with a paycheck. Vocation is something that's bigger than that. You know, the Latin word is vocare. It means to call. We're talking about what is the call? What is your calling? What have you been called to? What have you been made for? What has God put you on this earth to do? Because Colossians 3.17 gives us a good picture of, of calling, a, a little glimpse of it when it says this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. And that includes our work. Amen? So that's why we got to talk about it. And because we all work. Some of us have a job and, and we get a paycheck from that job, but it's not just paid work that counts as work. Any stay-at-home parents uh, know that that's work? 
Um, any students know that you're doing some work? Any retirees know that your work's not done just because you retired? There's all of us do work. The average person will spend 80,000 to 100,000 hours of their life working. And so my question is, is God at work in your work? When you think about your job or whatever type of work that you're going to do this week, um, starting tomorrow or starting today even, is God at work in your current work? Because if he's not, I think he's missing a huge opportunity. <laughs> if you're going to be doing it for 100,000 hours of your life. But if he is at work in your work, then do you see it that way? Is that how you look at it? Gordon Smith, a theologian, said, I have the quote up here, he said, one's work or vocation is the essential context in which a Christian lives out his or her faith. It becomes the furnace where, as Christians, we grow in faith, we develop patience, we learn to serve with generosity and joy. So if we all work, and work's important, and God is at work through our work, how do we make sense of it? What is it? What does work mean for Christians? Because if we're going to talk about in this series, seeing our work as worship, doing everything that we do as unto the Lord Jesus, we have to look at how we make sense of work. Because um, in order to make sense of something, you have to fit it into a story. You guys, have you ever thought about that? There's a philosopher, um, Alistair McIntyre, in a book called After virtue, and he illustrates this point that we need stories to make sense of the world. We need stories to make sense of the actions that happen around us. And he says this, imagine you're standing at the bus stop. Standing at the bus stop, waiting on the bus, a young man comes up and says, just comes straight up to you and says, the name of the common wild duck is Histrionicus, Histrionicus, Histrionicus. Okay, <laughs> so... Sounds more like Harry Potter than like an actual, I studied biology, I'm pretty sure that's not the name of the common wild duck. But so just imagine that you're there and that happened to you and you, all right, so you understood every word in the sentence, right? I mean, basically, you heard them all, but you're not going to be able to know what this means unless you fit it into some kind of story. Unless you fit it into a story of, you know, who is this guy? Where is he from? I mean, you could say, okay, maybe he's severely mentally ill. And he doesn't really know what's going on. We're all right. <laughs> um, maybe that's it. And that, that would be sad, you know. Okay, he, he doesn't know what he's saying to me. Or maybe, maybe, you know, another way you could fit in the story is he saw someone who looked just like you the day before. Like the same height, the same weight, same hair color. And he mistook you for them. And that person had asked him the question, what is the name of the common wild duck? <laughs> And so that makes sense of it too, right? That's, that story could fit. Or maybe Alistair McIntyre says he is a spy. And this, you are at the drop point, <laughs> the secret rendezvous, and he thinks that you are the spy he's supposed to meet, and so he delivers the code sentence, you know, with the histrionicus, you know. And so now, like, you're supposed to give him the spy info or whatever spies do. I don't really know. But the point is this. 
How you react to the situation depends on how you understand the story. It's the same way in how we make sense of the world. It's the same way in how we make sense of work. And, and work means different things to different people. And it depends on what story we're believing about work. And what story you believe will determine how you react to the situation, even though it's the same event. Does that make sense? So if, if you think he's out of his mind, like, if you think he's out of his mind, but he really just mistook you for someone else and you called the cops, that's sad, right? Because it should be funny, but it's sad, right? Or, you know, let's say for some reason you pick a fight and he happens to be a trained assassin, that's bad. So it's important for us to understand, understand what story it fits into. And the reason I'm bringing that up today is I want to ask, what story are you believing about your work? The work that you do day in and day out, because all of us are believing something about work. Some of us work, you love it, and it's the reason you wake up in the morning. And some of us work, it's the reason you can't wait till the weekend, right? We are believing different stories about work, and we're never going to see God at work in our work until we see our work in the story of God. I said work a lot right there. Uh, we're never going to see how God wants to work through the work that we're already doing until we see the work that we're doing in the light of God's story. And so today, I want to look at that story for the rest of our time together. Is that all right? Yeah. All right, good. Act one. Act one, first page of the Bible, first sentence, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says that the earth was formless and empty, For, without form, void, chaotic, and empty. And what God does as you're reading the very opening scene of the story is he takes that formless and empty earth and he gives it form and order and he fills it up with life. See, he separates the day and the night. He separates the sky and the ground. He separates the sea and the land. And then he fills it up with life. He puts life in. So You guys see that? It goes from formless and empty to having form and order and full of life. And then at the apex of his creation, all of that he did through speaking, all of that he did, and God said, and it was, right? But when it came to the apex of his creation, Genesis 2 says that he got down in the dirt and he worked with his hands. And he says that he fashioned, that he made man from the dust, and then he formed woman from man's rib. And Genesis says something remarkable about humans when God created them. In Genesis 1, most of you probably know it, but maybe you haven't heard it. But it says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In this first act of the story, in this creation, 
act, we, the first thing we learn is that we're made in the image of God. That in some way, we have been made to resemble our creator. We've been made in his likeness to be like him. And one of the ways that I would say, one of the ways that theologians say that we're made in him is called functional likeness, which means God is a worker and he showed us in how he created it and he called us to be workers too. God got down and worked with his hands to fashion us and he calls us to work with our hands. And he, God is ruling, right? God's an authority. But what does he say to the humans? You, go rule. Have authority. Cultivate. Take these raw materials that sometimes seem chaotic and cultivate it to bring out the best in it. Do productive work. Fill the earth. Multiply. Be blessed. Genesis 2 says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Why? To work it and to take care of it. Here's what we learned from the first act. Work was here before sin was here. Work is good. Some of y'all don't believe me on that. (laughs) Hey, there's more to the story. We're getting there. But work is good. Work's not just a necessary evil that we have to do. We don't just, I mean, I have to work, right? That's one of the main reasons we work. I have to work. But it's not just a necessary evil that we have to do and we have to put up with. No, before there was any evil, work was good. It was a necessary good. For the sheer joy of it, and because you're made in the image of the God who made you, he, he has created you to do work. Contrary to popular belief, we don't just work because we have to. We are created to do creative work, to do productive work, to do ethical work, to do stewarding work. We were made in the image of God. So when you think of the work that you're going to do this week, do you see it that way? Can you see the aspects of it to where whatever kind of job it is, and I know that there are types of work that are not redeemable, but I'm talking about the jobs that at least all of you that I know are working. (laughs) Um, When you think of the work that you're going to do this week, do you see it that way? Do you... Remember and do you think about, you know what, God made me in his image and part of his image is to work and to do good things with work, to take the things that are kind of chaotic and don't have order and they're kind of formless and to bring form to them, to bring order to them, to take the things that are empty and you know what, that, that garden could really produce a lot of fruit. <laughs> well, not if no one works it, right? Are we looking at our work in that creation aspect of this is what we were created to do. How great would it be if that were how we experience work, right? And some of us do. We do experience that to some extent. That's why we enjoy it when it's good. Um, But there's more to the story, right? (laughs) There's those other days when you wake up and you woke up late and uh, then you, you know, you get dressed and you have a stain on your shirt And then you're driving to work and you pour coffee on your pants. And then you get to work and first thing and they say is the toner needs to be refilled. And it's your turn. And uh, 
<laughs> no, no one else? Oh, just stop? Okay. This is the depressing part. Okay, yeah. And those are the days I think that we remember a little bit more, that stand out a little bit more when we think about work, and that's because of Act 2. Act 2, the fall. We were created to do good work, created in God's image. And God gave Adam and Eve instructions, gave them everything they ever needed, and told them what to stay away from because it would harm them, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But the serpent tempts Eve. You guys, anyone heard this story? Yeah? Okay, good. (laughs) In the right place, right? Serpent tempts Eve, and Adam and Eve believe the lie, and they eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They turn against our good God and his good ways and say, I want to be like God, and I want to know good and evil for myself. And what happens? They die. There's a spiritual death that's immediate. And then there's a physical death that starts them, but it's long and drawn out. (laughs) But they die, just like God said would happen. And I think a lot of times we focus on that. Okay, we have death because of sin. But there's actually more that their sin brought upon them. If you read Genesis 3, um, God speaks to Eve because of her sin and talks about You're going to have painful labor through childbirth. And then when he talks to Adam because of his sin, verse 17, he says, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. I did that all week this week. <laughs> it's like 90, de- 90 degrees, right? It, 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 makes the, it gives flavor to the... Uh, so, so, come on. Anyways, I don't think that's what he meant, right? But by the sweat of your brow, it's going to take hard work to put food on your table. Until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So painful toil, thorns and thistles, sweat. The story of God says we live in a fallen world. It doesn't say that everything is as bad as it could be, but it says that everything is affected by sin. Everything is broken including ourselves and the way we look at work. Our relationship with work, the way we think about it, is under a curse because of the fall. So from this part of the story, what do we learn? Because of our sin, work is cursed. Thorns and thistles, paper cuts, (laughs) traffic jams when you're already late, coffee spilled like I talk about, but even the more sinister stuff, people cheating at work or lying at work or betraying you and and office politics and cutting corners to get the paycheck but not to give good work or awful work conditions or exploitations or trafficking or the ways that we take advantage of one another. All of that comes from our sin and how sin has cursed our relationship with work. So how does this part of the story shape our view of work? I think it has two things. 
First, it sets realistic expectations of work. And, and second, it explains the broken relationships we have. So realistic expectations. Um, as good as work can be. And we live in like kind of like a hustle culture, like get out there and get it done. Like this is, find what you were made to do and do it and just kill it, right? It's, you're going to be so fulfilled, right? But what this part of the story reminds us is as good as work can be, work has limitations. Our culture has some unrealistic expectations about what, what work can do for you. You can find your fulfillment in work. You can find your identity in what you do. If you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Can we just like, can we just like, okay, good. I thought I was going to have to like argue for that point, but y'all, it sounds like y'all are with me. Uh, That's bogus. Um, But the fall reminds us that as helpful and as good as work can be, and though we were created for work, we were still created for work, to do good work, to work like our God has showed us how to work. It can never be, as good as work can be, it can never be our Savior. Secondly, we tend to relate to work in broken ways because of our fallen nature. And there's, there's two main categories I want to hit. On the one side, we tend to worship work, or we tend to worship rest. So if we worship work, then we, we love work. We love the grind. We want to make it all about our achievements, and we want to become someone we, we want to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and have that story. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I love work. We're told in our culture a thousand different ways. You can be whatever. When you grow up, you can be whatever you want to be. And you know what we mean by that? It's like, it's your work. But we're talking about your identity. You can determine who you want to be through what you do. And so when we're on that side, we worship work, and instead of work just being a good thing, it becomes a God thing, and we idolize work. We make an idol out of work, and we bow down to it, and we cut other things and other people out of our life because of our work, and we cut God out of our life or pull him back out of our life because of we're working. God understands, right? That's when we worship work, but on the other side, if we worship, so if we're worshiping work, we make it an idol, but on the other side, if we worship rest, we become idol, huh? Huh? You guys like that? <laughs> on one side, there's idolatry, and on the other side, there's idleness. Because we don't want to work because we've experienced the thorns and the thistles. And that's not fun, and I don't want the sweat of my brow to get me my food. And that's when we just work, and we're just putting in the hours and waiting for retirement. Or we're just putting in the hours, and we're waiting for the weekend. Or for vacation. We, war- we go through life not actually living it, but living for some other part that's not here yet. And you know what? That part's always around the corner. But it, you're never going to reach it. We worship work or we avoid work. We make it an idol or we become idol. And those are broken ways of relating to work. And can I confess that I've done both? I'm guilty. I think if we're honest with ourselves... A lot of us have experienced either side of that. Tim Keller has a a great quote about finding 
your identity and your work. If your identity is in your work, then success will go to your head, but failure will go to your heart. If your identity is in your work, it will enslave you. And on the other side, if you live for vacation, no amount of vacation is going to be enough. You're never going to feel rested enough. You're always going to be trying to get away from work the next time. So as you think about your, your current job, your vocation, like I said, whatever kind of work that is that you're going to do this week, paid or unpaid, where do you see the effects of the fall? Where do you see the effects of this part of the story of God? Have your expectations of work been too high? Have you been trying to get too much juice from that squeeze? I don't know if that's a good metaphor. I just said that. No, have you been trying to get too much of your soul's identity and your soul's fulfillment from your work? Which way do you lean? Do you lean towards idolatry or towards being idle? Obviously, this is a low point of the story. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but thankfully, it's not the end. Right? So how does God respond? Where do, we, where do we go from here? We've had creation. We've had the fall. And have you just ever realized that, you know, God... God made humans in his image to do good work. He showed us what good work is like, told us how to go about it, and then we turned and went our own way. Have you ever just like realized he didn't have to? It could have been over. There could have been no grace. It could have been like, well, we're done here. But God didn't do that. God responded by unveiling his plan of redemption, to redeem, to buy back, to save, to bring back humans from our fallen, broken, sinful state, and the sin, even the sinful ways we look at work, to redeem us to himself. Even in the, you don't have to go like further down the story. In Genesis chapter 3, the first thing God does is he makes, because remember they, they, they were always naked, but then they Saw that they were naked, and then they were ashamed. Yeah, And what does God do? He makes animal skins for them and clothes them. Genesis 3.21. The first thing that God does is redeem. <laughs> begin to redeem. Begin this work of redemption. And so it goes on, and it stretches across time. God responding graciously and, and wanting to work with and to work and to redeem humans, and he says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make a great nation of you, and, and all the people of the earth, I'm going to bless you, and all the people of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And then you have Israel and the covenants he makes with Israel and redeeming Israel and, and showing us what, it, what, what this God is like. And then this act of redemption culminates in the life of Jesus. Where John 1 says, the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That God the Son, who has existed in eternity past, would humble himself. And we're not only made in his image, but he became a human. He became, he was fully God and fully man, 
And when he came, it says, we beheld his glory. What that means is, when you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. When you see Jesus and what he did, you begin to see what God is like. And the first thing that we see, one of the first things we see, is that Jesus had a job. He did. He did. And I'm not talking about just his teaching ministry in the last three years of his life. Did he have a job before that? Or did he just not work at all? No, see, when God came to earth, he didn't come into a rich family and just get doted upon his whole life. What did he do? He came, he became, he came to a family of carpenter. And he learned carpentry. He worked with his hands. Like father, like son. Like father, like son. He worked with his hands. The, the Greek word is, is tekton, which could mean carpenter, or it could mean um, like an artisan, or a mason, or a builder, or a handyman. He was someone who knew how to work with his hands for the good of other people. Have you thought about how much dignity that brings to us as humans? That God would become one of us? And then how much dignity it brings to our work, whatever our hands find to do, that Jesus had a job? That he worked with his hands, that he got splintered, splinters in his fingers, stubbed fingers. And the, the thing, I don't know if you've thought about this, but I don't think that Jesus' work as a carpenter was a throwaway job. I don't think he was just, oh, I'm just doing this until I begin my real thing. We can argue on that, but I don't think he was just biding time. I think that that work was useful in itself, that it was beneficial to other people, that it was character shaping of our Lord as he grew. Shaping him for ministry, shaping him for the rest of what God was doing. Shaping his character. I mean, he did more carpentry, presumably, than he did ministry. Or maybe he was ministering through his carpentry. Jesus redeemed work for us. Even when he began his ministry, his public ministry, and he's teaching and, and healing, going from place to place, a lot of that happened at work. A quote from Eugene Peterson says this, Most of what Jesus said and did took place in a secular workplace, in a farmer's field, in a fishing boat, at a wedding feast, in a cemetery, at a public well, asking a woman he didn't know for a drink of water, on a country hillside that he turned into a huge picnic, in a courtroom, having supper in homes with acquaintances or friends. In our Gospels, Jesus occasionally shows up in a synagogue or temple, but for the most part, he spends his time in the workplace. 27 times in John's Gospel, Jesus is identified as a worker. He said, my father is still working, and I am also working. Work doesn't take us away from God. It continues the work of God. God comes into view on the first page of our scriptures as a worker. Once we identify God and his workplace working, it isn't long before we find ourselves in our workplaces working in the name of God. The digni There's dignity in having a job, even if, it's, even if you're not doing what you're ultimately made to do. Even if you haven't found it. There's dignity in your current job. 
It's not just throw away. God is at work in your current job, whether you see it or not, but it's going to be a lot sweeter if you begin to look at it that way. And you're going to see it more and more. He is at work in your work. So when Jesus comes, he did, he, he worked, he redeemed work for us, but he also worked to redeem us on an even greater scale than that. God is not just creative. He doesn't just do creative work. He's a redeemer and he does redeeming work. And like father, like son, God worked to create us. He worked with his hands to create us. Jesus worked with his hands to redeem us. And, and the splinters in his hands on the job prepared him for the splinters on his back on the cross. He was not content to let us be ravaged by sin and by death, but he came. The word became flesh and showed us God's glory when he was crucified for our sins and he was buried for our penalty and he was risen again for our promise of life. In the cross, if you are in Christ, if your faith is in him today, In the cross, God has both redeemed you and invited you to participate in his work of redemption. You guys catch that? Another way of saying it is, what God has done to you, he wants to do through you. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, one of my favorite passages. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Other translation says, he is a new creation creation. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who what? Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you guys see that? Because of the cross, because of Jesus' work for us in his death and burial and resurrection, he not only reconciled us to God, he gave us a ministry to help other people be reconciled to God. And he goes on, what he says there in verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What's this mean for us? God has redeemed us. And when we place our faith in him, when we're born again, we are a new creation. And not only do we recover that sense of work that we were created for, we have a new layer of work that God gives us. Hey, you know that way I reconciled you? Tell other people about that so that they can be reconciled to me too. Amen? We do that through the way we live. We do that through our words. We, we, we like to say we declare and demonstrate the gospel. It's through what we do. It's what we say. It's, it's God is redeeming you to, be, to take part in his work of redemption on your job. And it, and it is through telling other people about the gospel, but it's not just through saying Jesus once per hour while you're on the clock. It's, it's also through the way that you work. Does it make sense? 1 Peter 2 says, live such good lives among the pagans, among the people who don't believe in God, who don't know Jesus, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Even if people don't like that you're a Christian, they ought to be able to glorify God through your deeds. They ought to be able to look at our lives and say, well, I don't like what they believe, but I like what they do. 
Amen? So God redeems us, and then he invites us to be a part of his redeeming work through our words and through our deeds. And when you think about your work this week, the work that you're going to head into, how does this part of the story, how does Act 3, the, the redemption that Jesus Christ has brought us through the gospel, through the cross, the dignity that he's brought our work through working and through having a job, how does that change the way you think about your work this week? How can you be about the ministry of reconciliation with the people in your life that don't know God? If you're a stay-at-home parent and your kids don't know the gospel yet, how can you be about the ministry of reconciliation in the way that you're working to serve them? So thankful for this third act of redemption that we have experienced and tasted and seen that it's good, but there's, uh, there's more, too. We're not even just there. There's more to do. And I think when we move to the, the final act of the story, before we do, I just want to ask, like, I think we all ask this question, what will our work matter in the end? I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who's had that thought. Like, what is this? Is this worth it? Like, is it going to, what makes it worth it? Is it that it's going to last or that people are going to remember it for a few years after I'm gone, or is my work going to matter a thousand years from now? Is my work going to, a million years from now, is what I did my whole life going to matter? And, you know, it comes back to the story that you're believing, because the story our culture is telling right now is that, no, it won't. It's basically Meaningless. You're a happy accident that God didn't help to create. And everything that we do here, no one's looking at it. It's not going to count for anything. That's what, that's, you know, if you want to fit work into a story, that's one of them. And if you believe that story, well, you can just look around our culture, what people are doing when we believe that story. But God's story says something quite different. God's story, well, I'll just read a little bit of it. We started at the first chapter of the book. We're going to go to the last chapter of the book. Revelation 21, 1, 5, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then in Revelation 22, 3, it says this, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. You guys see that? People are still working in heaven. 
but there's no thorns and thistles. No longer will there be any curse. No more sickness, no more mourning, no more pain, no more disease. Every tear will be wiped away. And a new heaven and a new earth. And theologians even say it's significant that when we get to the end of the story, it's not just another garden. It's a new city. Oh, new city. <laughs> but it's a, it's a city that represents what? The work of God's people and the work of God. The redeemed work with no curse. What we do today matters for eternity. It means we have hope for the future. It means we have hope that the work of our... We can pray in Psalms 90, 17, Lord, establish the work of our hands. Because our work matters. Even though the field of work you work in may be marred by sin and the effects of the fall in the fallen world. Even if you can't accomplish all that you want to, if you put your whole life toward what God, God called you to do, it will count. It will matter. Our work is not vanishing and worthless, but it will be redeemed. It's part of God's plan. It's part of his redemptive work even now. Leslie Newbegin says it this way. Every faithful act of service, every honest labor to make the world a better place, which seemed to have been forever lost and forgotten in the rubble of history, will be seen on that day at the final resurrection to have contributed to the perfect fellowship of God's kingdom. All who committed their work and faithfulness to God will be by him raised up to share in the new age and will find that their labor was not lost, but that it has found its place in the completed kingdom. Their work we do today is not lost. And we're weak. We can't build the kingdom of God on our own. He's building his kingdom, but we get to be part of it. And he uses what we do today and what you're going to do on Monday. It's part of his work. It's part of his plan. And so as Christians, what that means for us is that the work we do in our lives, the work we do today is meant to be a signpost of the hope that we have, that God is restoring all things, that he will, that he will as the perfect judge, that he will make all things new and he will make all things right. And we show that. We show that our, our hope is in God's promised future to us of tears that are wiped away, of pain that's gone, of disease that's gone. No thorns, no thistles. But still work that glorifies God and brings us fulfillment and that we get to put our hands to. And he's going to establish the work of our hands. I, uh, anyone ever been to Baskin Robbins? At Baskin Robbins, they're a different color than this, but has anyone ever seen one of these? 
So, you know, we're, from, we're San Diegans, so we're more like gelato. We're like a gelato culture, but Baskin-Robbins is all right. How many know, how many know what, and you know, at Baskin-Robbins, they're pink spoons, right? How many know what this is for? Yes. Yeah, samples, right? This is to transfer goodness <laughs> into my mouth, right? And, and uh, this, is, this is the thing that uh, Amy Sherman talks about in, in her book, uh, Kingdom Calling. But it's talking about our role as Christians and is to be like these sample spoons. Because not only it gives you a sample, it gives you a foretaste of what's to come. When you get the whole enchilada and you're just like <laughs> by yourself and it's just amazing. We're called to be sample spoons. We're called to live and work every day of our life in such a way and rest. There's days that we rest. Sorry. But we're called to live in such a way that we give people a foretaste of the hope that we have. Of what's to come. Of what the kingdom will be like. And if we can't do that through our work, then where can we do it? If we can't do it through 100,000 hours of our waking life, where else are we planning to show people a foretaste of the kingdom? We've tasted and we've seen that it's good. And now we want to, oh yeah, you want to sample this? This is what hope feels like. This is what it's like when your work counts for something. This is what it's like when, when you get treated well. <laughs> if you're a customer service rep, this is what a customer service rep who really is trying to serve you looks like. <laughs> whatever it is, whether you're an artist or whether you're a doctor, or whether you're a programmer or whatever it is, this is how it works if I believe that God is going to restore this. That he has redeemed me. He's already redeemed me and he's going to restore me and not just me. Amen? The culture is telling us a story. We're talking about calling. The world says, the world has a story about calling. We hear it all the time. You've got to find your calling. You've got to find what you're made for. But in the world story, your calling is primarily about you. It's, you've got to find the way you are shaped, the gifts you have. You've got to, it's about your test scores and your talents and, and what fulfills you. And in order to be fulfilled, you have to do what makes you happy. But God's story talks about calling too. And in God's story, your calling is primarily about the caller. It's primarily about the one who calls you. The focus is on God. God is the one who shapes you. God is the one who gives you gifts to steward and talents. God is the one who knows where you best fit. God is the one who knows how you will be most fulfilled and how your character will be most shaped to look like him. In order to find your life, you have to lose it for Jesus' sake. It's the difference, it's the difference between focused on ourselves, which will ultimately leave us empty and disappointed and frustrated and anxious and burnt out, or just puffed up and full of ourselves and look at me and look what I've done with my calling. Or focusing on Jesus, the one who made us, the one who called us, the one who has redeemed us, the one who will restore us. We're made in the image of a God who works creatively, works redemptively, and works 
restoration, and he's called us to do that kind of work. That's what our calling is. And we're going to get more into it in this series. What does that look like for individuals? We'll get there. But can I tell you right now, you're called to that. I don't know what specific job you're called to, but you're called to everything I just said. You're called to working creatively. You're called to working redemptively. You're called to work and to give a foretaste of the restoration that we hope for and that we have in Jesus. Amen? Amen. So as I close today, I want to ask, I want you to, I want you to think about in these next few minutes as we're going to pray and respond and, and worship, what are the, what are, what's the story I'm believing about work? What's the story I'm believing about where God has me right now? And what I do day in and day out. Is God at work through that? Is that part of his story? Are you doing it just for you? When you get stressed and when the headaches come because they come, do you look to God for help? Or is it got to be on you? You got you to figure this out. You got to do it. It's all on you. I need to see that sweat on your brow. What story are you believing about work? What lies are you believing about work? Have you set it up on a pedestal and believe that work could give you way more than God ever intended it to? Have you ignored the reality that we live in a fallen world? Or are you worshiping rest and just, just biding your time and not even paying attention to how God might want to use you in your work? As you dwell on those questions, I, I pray that you would look to the story that we just looked at because God is a redeemer. And, and many of you here, I know today, you know that because he's redeemed you. And if you're here today and you don't know that yet, you can begin to know that today in Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we're, that's why we're actually happy to talk about work because of who Jesus is, what he's done in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much. Thank you, for, thank you for working for us, God, for working to create us, working to redeem us, working to restore us. God, all, all that we are and all that we have is a result of your work that's just offered to us, God. And yet you've called us to participate in that. Lord, I pray that as Christians, we would, we would pay attention to the caller more than the called. We would pay attention to you and who you are. We would be rejuvenated by your story and by your gospel. That we would be saved from all the ways that we sin when it comes to work and our jobs. God, we turn that over to you. I pray that you would bless each and every person who's here, God. I know I can't cover everything today, but I pray that even just a glimpse of the good news that you have given to us, Jesus, would, would sink into our hearts in exactly the spot where you want to apply it, Holy Spirit. Help us to be open over these next few minutes that you, would, that you would do work in our hearts, God. We trust you and we ask for it. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Amen.